If you have your Bibles, I want you to open them with me now to the book of Joshua. We've made our way to chapter 9, Joshua chapter 9, and in a moment we will begin reading there in verse 1. In the year 2014, there were two brothers in Spain who found out that a painting that they both purchased, I believe, 11 years prior, a painting by Francisco Goya, was actually a forgery. The original painting, the one they thought they had purchased, was actually made in the 18th century. You see that painting on the left. Now, that painting is very, very valuable. But the one they possessed was made in the 19th century, and that one is basically worthless. So these two brothers had to decide what they were going to do with that painting. Rather than keep it, rather than discard it, they decided that they were going to sell their forgery at auction without telling anybody that it was fake. They figured if we were dumb enough to buy it, maybe somebody else will be dumb enough to buy it from us. Sure enough, there was an Arab sheik who was willing to pay $1.7 million for that fake Goya painting on the right. Now, for a while, these two brothers were so excited, they thought they got away with it until they discovered that the man who bought the painting paid for it with counterfeit dollars. (laughs) Now, I don't believe in karma, but God does have a sense of humor. The lesson here is that there is deceit all around us. That is true in so many ways. That is especially true spiritually. The devil is the master of deceit. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians that he disguises himself as an angel of light. Jesus said in John 8, he is a liar and the father of lies. The Bible says in Revelation, he's the old serpent who deceives the entire world. Listen, Satan's deceits are just as dangerous as his attacks on our lives. So many times when he attacks us, we get desperate. We know we're in trouble. So we call out on the Lord, and he hears us, and he answers us, and we have victory. But then all too often, when he would deceive us, we lower our guards and we fail. In our passage this morning, Israel is getting ready to face their third opponent after entering the promised land, the cities of Gibeon. Now, they're also known as the Hivites, And you'll notice they're referred to as both the Gibeonites and Hivites at different times in Scripture. But this battle against Gibeon never took place. And the reason why it never happened is because the Israelites were deceived. They were tricked by the Gibeonites. 
before the battle could even begin. This really is one of the most interesting stories in the Bible. It teaches us so much about how the enemy works, how he would deceive us, how we can overcome his deceits. And so this morning, there are a couple of things from this story that I want to point out to you. First of all, I want you to notice the mistakes we can avoid. The mistakes we can avoid. As we read this story, we're going to see Israel made a number of mistakes which we are able to identify so that we do not have to repeat them. Notice in verse 1. And it came to pass when all the kings who were on this side of the Jordan, in the hills and in the lowland, and in all the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite heard about it, that they gathered together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. Notice the news of Israel's victories over Jericho and Ai is extending far and wide. And so here are all of these different kings who normally would be busy fighting each other. But now they are coming together in order to fight Israel. Keep in mind, whenever the people of God are on the move, the opposition will unite against them. We see this in the New Testament. We see this in the Gospels. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, man, they hated each other. They were always fighting against each other. But as soon as Jesus arrived, all of a sudden, they had an enemy in common. And just like that, they were united. Now, that's how it's working in this passage with all of these different kings. But there is one exception. Look at verse 3. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard that Joshua, heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they worked craftily and went and pretended to be ambassadors. And they took old sacks on their donkeys, old wineskins torn and mended, old and patched sandals on their feet, and old garments on themselves. And all their bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country. Now, therefore, make a covenant with us. There was one group of people, the Gibeonites, who said, We're not going to fight Israel. We are going to deceive Israel. And the Bible says that they acted craftily. Now, normally in the Bible, when that word appears, it is a good thing. It means to be resourceful. But notice what they did. The Bible says they disguised themselves and they acted, they pretended to be ambassadors from a far away country. They claimed to have traveled a long, long way. In reality, they had only traveled about 25 miles. And they trick Israel into forming an alliance with them. They trick Israel into making a covenant with them. And as we read on, this is a covenant that Israel is going to be forced to keep even after they discover that they've been tricked. You might read this and wonder, how in the world could they fall for that? 
Well, they fell for that because they made certain mistakes that we don't have to make. For example, they relied upon appearances. They relied upon appearances. Just imagine if someone were to visit you and they had traveled, I don't know, hundreds of miles through the elements on a donkey. How might they appear when they finally made it to your doorstep? You might expect them to look a little bit rough, right? Well, that's exactly how they made themselves look. And so they went looking and they found the the oldest, most ratty sacks and, that they could find and, and worn out old wineskins and old sandals and old clothing. Even their food was old. The food They, they found some, some food that uh, should have been thrown out a long time ago. It was hard. It was moldy. And that was the food that they brought with them. So that when they arrived, it would look like they had traveled from some far away country. Now, if the Israelites would have looked beyond the outer appearances, they would have noticed a few things that were wrong with this story. It didn't really make sense. Why in the world would a nation, apparently a very poor nation, so far away, send a delegation to Israel who posed no threat to them whatsoever? Why would they ask them for an alliance? Why would they ask for a covenant? And by the way, wouldn't real ambassadors have thrown away the old bread and had their servants bake fresh bread? Wouldn't they have brought with them uh, an appropriate change of attire so that they could be more presentable? I mean, after all, they're supposedly representing their king, right? There were all sorts of warning signs all over the place appearances can be deceptive. Let me just ask you, how many of you at some point, you have dealt with someone who on the outside by their appearances looked like one thing, one kind of person, but then as you got to know them and you saw beyond their appearances, you discovered that they were actually somebody else. And if you had that experience, if your hand is not raised, just wait. You will. Because we all do at some point. That's what makes appearances so dangerous. And whenever you make decisions based on appearances, based on what you see, rather than going to God and his word, you are basically saying, I can handle this. I don't need God's help. And that is always a recipe for trouble. And so they relied upon appearances, but something else they did They were impressed by flattery. That was their next big mistake in Joshua chapter 9. They were impressed by flattery. Look at verse 7. Then the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you dwell among us. So how can we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you and where do you come from? So they said to him, from a very far country, your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard of his fame and all that he did in Egypt and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon king of Heshbon and to Og king of Bashan who was at Ashtaroth. 
Notice they didn't mention anything about Jericho or Ai because that happened recently and they were pretending not to know about that. Verse 11, therefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us saying, take provision with you for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Now therefore make a covenant with us. You can tell, verse 7, that they knew something was off. Something wasn't quite right about all of this. And what did the Gibeonites do? They started to compliment them. They started to flatter them. Oh, we're here to serve you because we've heard about your victories. And oh, your God is marvelous. And you guys, you're so great. We came all this way just to meet you and serve you. Hey, let's be honest. In our flesh, we like to be flattered, don't we? It's what makes it one of the enemy's greatest tools. Satan will tell you how wise you are, how strong you are, how smart you are, how capable you are. All the while he's luring you, pulling you in his trap. That's why we have to be on guard when it comes to flattery. I'm reminded of the story of Winston Churchill, the prime minister of of, uh, Great Britain, and how he was on tour, he was giving speeches And one day before a particular speech, somebody was just flattering him. And he said, man, it must feel nice to give a speech to such an overflowing crowd. How does that feel? And he wisely said, well, whenever I think that, I just remind myself of one thing. If I were being hanged instead of giving a speech, the crowd would be twice as large. Well, that's a pretty wise response. It's wise because over and over again, the Bible warns us and warns us and warns us about flattery and how we should be careful when man would flatter us. Listen to some of these warnings. In Proverbs 26, 28, it says, A flattering mouth works ruin. Flattery can ruin you. Did you know that? And then Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy, the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. In other words, better for you to hear a hard truth from someone who loves you than to hear flattery and compliments from someone who does not love you. Proverbs 29, 5 says, A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net For his feet. Someone is flattering you. They tell you how wonderful you are, and they just keep going and going, and it feels good. You don't realize they may be setting a trap for you. Psalm 12 3 says, May the Lord cut off all flattering lips. When Paul wrote to the Romans and he was warning them about false teachers and what they do and how they operate, he said in Romans 16 18, By smooth words and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the simple. Who do they deceive? Not the wise, the simple. On the other hand, we think about Jesus. In John chapter 2, as the people were flattering him, The Bible says he did not entrust himself to them, for he knew what was in man. 
He remembered where that flattery was coming from. He remembered that soon the same people who would cry out, Hosanna, would shortly thereafter cry out, crucify him. Appearances can be deadly. The Israelites got in trouble because they relied upon appearances. They were impressed by flattery. But then another mistake that they made, they depended on their own wisdom. They depended on their own wisdom. Before Moses died, in the law, the book of the law, which he gave to them, Moses told them in Deuteronomy chapter 20, you shall not make a treaty with any of the inhabitants within Canaan, but he said you may make a treaty with the peoples outside of Canaan. Could it be that that is why the Gibeonites were claiming to be from a far away country? I don't know, but it seems to me like the Gibeonites knew the scriptures better than the Israelites did. And they're actually using the law of God against the people of God. And everything they said, oh, it was logical and it was convincing. But it was all one big lie. But the Israelites didn't notice it because they were too busy depending on their own wisdom instead of the word of God. Listen, part of what makes the devil so deceptive is how he can use Scripture. We know that Satan tried to use Scripture when he tempted Jesus. Likewise, he will quote Scripture, and he will twist Scripture, and he'll add to it, and he'll take it from it, and he'll rip it completely out of context and do whatever it takes to deceive us. That is why, first of all, we need to really get to know this book so that we can tell the real thing from the counterfeit. And that's also why we better not go through life just coasting and depending upon our own common sense. You understand what I'm talking about? I know a lot of Christians who, whenever they want to defend anything in their life that is contrary to God's Word, what do they do? They just appeal to common sense. Oh, but pastor, I hear what you're saying, but it's it's common sense, and therefore I'm going to do blank. Hear me very carefully. Your common sense is fallen. Your common sense can lead you astray. It can let you down. On the other hand, James said, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, and he will give it liberally. Well, there's one more mistake that they made in the story that we can't avoid, and boy, was this a big one. They did not consult the Lord. They did not consult the Lord. Look at verse 14. Then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. So Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. When you read verse 14, boy, that's a verse maybe you ought to underline, maybe you ought to circle if you're taking notes. But I read that verse and I think to myself, here we go again. Just like before, just like before the first battle of Ai. They didn't pray. They didn't seek the Lord. They just tried to figure it out on their own, and they failed. If only they would have paused to ask God, is this for real? He would have said, 
that it was a trap. So let me give you what I believe will be the best advice that anyone will give to you all day long. Here it is. You need margin in your decision-making. You need margin in your decision-making. In other words, never make a decision of great importance without praying. Never make a decision under pressure without going to the Lord. If you're in a situation and someone says, you've got to make such and such decision, but you've got to make it immediately, or you've got to commit to something right away, or you've got to make that deal, or you've got to sign that contract right now, and you don't even have time to wait and get away alone with God and pray and seek His face. That in itself is a pretty good sign that God does not want you to do blank. Because, let me tell you, if God is really in it, you will not lose out on anything by having waited on the Lord. Not a thing. You know, sometimes God will give us this nudge. Sometimes it's like a Holy Spirit caution light. Now, I have to explain this because we're in South Florida, and everybody thinks that the yellow light means drive faster, right? <laughs> so let me explain. Everywhere outside of South Florida, <laughs> that yellow light means slow down. My kids are chuckling because they know I am the chief of sinners on that. But that's another story. <laughs> but sometimes God has a way of, of giving us that inner caution light. He has a way of saying to us, hey, slow down. Most of the biggest mistakes I've made in my life had to do with those times where I did not heed that caution light, where I did not push that pause button in order to stop and get alone with God and really seek the Lord before making some decision. Well, that was another mistake that Israel made. All of these are mistakes that the Israelites made, but we don't have to. On the other hand, we're human, aren't we? And at some point, we are going to make some of these mistakes. And here's the question. What then? What do we do? That leads to the next part of this story that I want to talk about. And that is the way we can respond. When we do mess up, when we are deceived, how do we respond? Well, look at verse 16. And it happened at the end of three days after they'd made a covenant with them, that they heard that they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. We don't know exactly how they figured it out. The Bible doesn't tell us. But three days later, they realized these people who visited them, and they made a pact with them, they were not from some faraway country. No, they were from right down the street. Now, I have a theory. Perhaps Joshua sent spies into the cities of Gibeon, just like he did Jericho and Ai, right? That was his pattern. That's what he did. And maybe the spies are walking around Gibeon, and uh, as they're touring the cities, at some point, one of them turns to the other and says, oh, wait a second. Are you noticing something here? 
these people look familiar. (laughs) I think we've met them. I think we saw them recently. I think these are the people with whom we just made a covenant. And they realized suddenly what a terrible mistake they had made. Now look, it took them three days to figure out that they had been deceived, but it was centuries and centuries of them dealing with the ramifications of this one mistake. Now, when you make a mistake like this, yes, the Lord will forgive you. Understand, that doesn't mean that the ramifications necessarily are going to disappear. Israel was deceived, but we need to give them a little bit of credit for one thing, don't we? When they were tricked, when they were deceived by the Gibeonites, they did the right thing. They responded in the right way. They show us how we can respond when we have been deceived. First of all, honor your word. Honor your word When the people found out the Gibeonites deceived them, and I mean the rank and file people of Israel, you know what they wanted? They wanted to wipe them out. Let's go get them. But look at verse 18. But the children of Israel did not attack them because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. And all the congregation complained against the rulers Then all the rulers said to all the congregation, We have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now therefore we may not touch them. The people were complaining about their leaders, not because their leaders did something wrong. They were complaining about their leaders because their leaders did something right. Joshua knew and the elders knew that if they attacked Gibeon after swearing in the name of the Lord that they would not do so, they would be taking God's name in vain. They would be inviting God's wrath on themselves. And so even though the Gibeonites lied to them, they still made a covenant and they still had to keep it. I can imagine somebody saying to Joshua, oh, come on, Joshua, what if the tables were reversed? What if we were the ones that tricked them? Do you really think they would show us that kind of kindness? It did not matter. It did not matter. Because part of a covenant means being faithful to do what you vowed to do. Even if the other person, the other partner in that covenant is not faithful to do what they vowed to do. That's why in the covenant of marriage, you don't just walk away from your vows because your husband or your wife failed to keep one of those vows. Your faithfulness does not depend on their faithfulness. Just like God's faithfulness to us does not depend upon our faithfulness to him. He is faithful even when we are not. Psalm 15, 4 says, of the man who is blessed, of the man who abides in the presence of the Lord, about this man, this is what it says, he keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change his mind. God expected Israel to keep the vow that they made to Gibeon in his name. In fact, 
400 years later, there's another story that I'm not going to read, but in 2 Samuel, the Bible says that there was a severe famine in Israel. It was so bad, King David started to pray and say, God, what's going on here? Are you trying to get our attention? And God said, yes. Well, why is this happening? Because under King Saul, you violated the covenant you made with the Gibeonites, and they had to make that right. That's how serious a thing this was. Honor your word. But then secondly, allow God to use your mistake. Allow God to use your mistake. Look at verse 20. This we will do to them. We will let them live, lest wrath be upon us, and because of the oath which we swore to them. And the ruler said to them, Let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for all the congregation as the rulers had promised them. You remember what the Gibeonites said at the beginning of this passage when they were tricking them? They came and they said, We are your servants. So notice what Joshua does. He says, Okay, we're going to let them do what they said that they were here to do. And so at this point in history, the Gibeonites become the woodcutters and the water carriers. So well, what is that about? Well, you get to the end of the chapter and it says, for the altar of the Lord. In other words, it became the role of the Gibeonites to help the priests with the sacrifices. Because every time the people would offer a sacrifice, they needed wood for the fire. Every time they offered sacrifices, they were going to need water. And so here were the people offering all of these sacrifices to the Lord. And of course, we know that every time they offered a sacrifice, that animal that was being sacrificed, that was just a picture in order to point them to that future sacrifice, that ultimate sacrifice that God promised to provide for us when Jesus Christ the Lamb of God laid down His life on the cross voluntarily for us, for our sin. Every single one of those sacrifices that they offered, it was a picture of the gospel, and there were the Gibeonites with a front row seat. And don't you know that made a big impression upon them. We know it did because we see what happens in the rest of Scripture and how devoted they were to the Lord. Well, what do you do when you make a mistake? You put it to work. You learn from it. You let it draw you closer to God. You offer it to Him. Yes, you made a mistake, but you know what? God can use your mistake. And in some ways, not in all ways, but in some ways, this failure of Israel became a blessing not only to the Gibeonites who got to live, but in some ways it became a blessing to the Israelites as well. I say that because 900 years later, in the book of Ezra, the Bible tells us that the Gibeonites came back to Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity. Now, why would they do that? Because they loved the Lord. Because they wanted to continue to serve the Lord as they had been doing before. 
In Joshua chapter 9, these Gibeonites understood. They believed that the God of Israel was the one true God. And they believed that God had given to them the land. They also knew that they were under judgment. They knew that they were guilty of great sin. They knew that they were under condemnation. And they knew that if something did not happen, they were in big trouble. And they were all going to die. And this story of the Gibeonites tricking the Israelites is them not really knowing what to do, but trying to do something about it. So here's the one thing the Gibeonites did not know in Joshua chapter 9. What they did not know was if they really believed and if they were really and truly willing to repent of their sin and turn to the God of Israel, they did not have to use trickery for God to accept them. The same God who was willing to save Rahab the prostitute was also willing to save the Gibeonites. You know, just like those, those Gibeonites, a lot of people today, they're trying to do the same thing. They're trying to disguise themselves as Christians, if you know what I mean. Well, maybe if I go to church, maybe if I get baptized, maybe if I give money, maybe if I do this, do that, maybe if I perform all these good works, maybe if I disguise myself just right, I can sneak into heaven. You can't sneak into heaven, but good news, folks, you don't even have to try. You see, the Gibeonites, they were not eventually saved because they successfully tricked Israel. They were saved because they believed the promise of God. And likewise, we don't have to use trickery. We don't have to use deceit in order for God to accept us. We don't have to pretend to be something we're not. We don't have to pretend to be better than we are. We can come just as we are by faith. And Jesus said, whosoever comes to me, I will in no way cast out. In other words, no matter who you are, no matter what you have done, if you'll just believe, if you'll just come, there is mercy and there is grace and there is forgiveness and there is salvation waiting for you praise be to god would you join me if we as we pray heavenly father we thank you for your word and for all the lessons that we learn from it including the story of the gibeonites and Father, we confess to you as we look at the mistakes that Israel made in Joshua chapter 9, we've been guilty of making some of the same mistakes. We've been guilty at looking at other people and looking at our circumstances just by the appearances, just on the outside, not going deeper. 
We've been guilty of of not stopping and seeking your word, not stopping and and praying and, and asking for your will and asking for direction. And so many times in our lives, Lord, we've made the same mistakes and the enemy has deceived us. And so many times there are consequences and ramifications that we have to deal with. And I imagine, God, there are a lot of people here today that are dealing with some of those things right now. And so, first of all, we confess that to you. We ask you to be merciful. We ask you to forgive us. We ask you to show us if right now some of us here today are playing any of these games that we would be aware of the maneuvers of the enemy, that we would not be deceived by him in our lives today. But God, we thank you that even though sometimes we are, and even though sometimes we fail, you're still God. You're still in control. You still love us, and you will take even our sin, and you'll turn it around and you'll use it for our good and for your glory. And it is a miracle that you alone can do that. We thank you, God, that you can take even our biggest mistakes in life and use them as tools in your hand to do what you want to do. So, God, would you help us this morning to take whatever it is, whatever sin we've committed, whatever mistakes we've made, and just offer it back to you and say, God, we we trust you to use this. Help us, dear Lord, to learn from this and use it, Lord, for your glory. Use it to make us more like you. God, I pray for those who are here today in this room or maybe who are watching or listening online at this very moment who are like the Gibeonites at the beginning of this chapter, not really knowing what to do, and so disguising themselves, pretending to be something they're not. God, there's probably some people here today trying to disguise themselves with the garments of Christianity, trying to pretend to be something you know they're not because you see beyond the exterior you see beyond our appearances you look at the heart you know who we really are and so father i pray for those individuals that they would just stop playing games and that they would come to you just as they are sin and all knowing lord that you see us you know us you love us you sent jesus christ to die on the cross for that sin and you invite us to come and to be saved so father i pray if there's anyone here today who's never taken that step that moment of surrender when they said okay jesus i'm tired running from you here i am all that i am all that i have is yours i'm going to follow you god i i pray that would be their prayer that would be their decision in these next moments lord show us what you want us to do and how we can take this and apply all this to our lives we give you the thanks and the praise in jesus name